Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. to the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast with your host, Nick Bat. Sometimes I'll start a sentence and I don't even know where it's going. I just hope I find it along the way. And Bruce Nolan. I once worked with a guy for three years and never learned his name. Best friend I ever had. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I am one of your co-hosts today, Nick Bat. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T. And there will be no Bruce exclusive today. This is going to be a special edition Nick and Nolan Show where Tim Graham from The Athletic is going to join me for a conversation that ranges far and wide around the story that he and John Vogel recently wrote about the Pagula's Pagula Sports and Entertainment, the Sabres, and the Bills, and the morale around those organizations and those who are working within them. If you haven't already come across information about this story or haven't, you know, haven't taken the time to read it, I highly encourage you head over to The Athletic. It is a long one, a couple thousand words, but it provides really, really fascinating insight into those organizations and what it is like being a part of the One Buffalo team. And as you may have guessed, even if you haven't already seen it, it sheds some light that is, let's say, less than flattering about the current experience some employees describe having at the organizations. Now, Tim and I get into that and we talk about whether or not it's going to reach the bills and we talk about how it's the bills and the savers are different and and what really is even supposed to be the relationship between the owners of teams and the fans who support those teams. So I hope that you find it very interesting. I'm going to play an ad before the interview starts, so I don't have to interrupt it during the conversation Tim and I had, but I also want to apologize because unfortunately, when I recorded this interview with Tim, I, even though I had my microphone connected, I was not using it on the settings on my computer. And so my computer recorded me using the microphone on my laptop. So I sound like I am in a tin can. I played with it and tried to make it as listenable as possible. And I beg your forgiveness. And I please ask you not to hold it against Tim or this episode because he still provides really, really terrific, fascinating insight into the process around him writing this story. So take that into consideration. I sincerely apologize. But without further ado, after this advertisement, here is the interview with me and Tim Graham from The Athletic. 
thanks everybody for sticking with us here. I am Nick Bat from the Nick and Nolan Show, and joining me today for a special edition podcast is Mr. Tim Graham of The Athletic. Tim, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great, but don't call me Mr. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, well, you should be doing well. You have participated or wrote, co-wrote with John Vogel a piece for The Athletic that is uh, very, very popular, very well received, getting lots of comments and interaction online, and I think for good reason. You know, this isn't your first rodeo. You know, and I, I don't mean to pump up your, your your head too big here, but you know, obviously, you have written your fair share of pieces that have been uh, very well received and and gotten a lot of interaction. I think that, you know, the the comment I saw recently was that the current metrics for this story about the Pagulas is exceeding one of the previous records that I think you set with one of your previous stories for The Athletic. Is that right? Well, yeah, it's been received uh, quite well. And I'm actually looking at the metrics here as as we're talking and uh, it'll probably change uh, by the time this podcast gets posted online, so I won't give out any specific numbers, but not that my company would probably want me to do that anyway, but uh, just anecdotally, uh, in every metric that we offer, it's either the first or second most, well, it's hard to say, uh, actually. Uh, It's either depending on attention or engagement or number of comments, or number of views, you know, all these different types of things. It's either first or second of anything I've ever written at The Athletic, and it seems like it might be tracking to uh, be number one across the board um, here probably by the weekend. So uh, it's uh, it's been interesting, and uh, I, I knew that people would be interested in this topic if I was able to gather enough information to write the story, and uh, as You'll probably uh, mention uh, further down the line regarding the number of uh, sources that I had for this story. Uh, There were 39 uh, that uh, John Vogel and I uh, used for this story, but we actually spoke with way more than that because uh, we limited it to people who were full-time employees, number one. Uh, They worked for PSE Bills or Sabres, so we didn't get too far into other of the portfolios uh, because we wanted to keep it to, we wanted to limit it to the people who are most germane to this story. So I think we communicated with 45, 50 sources for this story. And we also wanted to limit it to the past 14 months, going back to when the Pagulas ousted uh, five executives in a short amount of time. And, uh, and again, limit them to full-time employees. So we didn't want to water it down with people who just had maybe a little bit more of a peripheral uh, experience uh, with, uh, with working for the Pagulas. And uh, so the number turned out to be 39. And so, you know, once I got the initial response, uh, I put out a tweet asking people to reach out to me if they wanted to talk to me about their experience of working uh, for PSE, current or former employees. And uh, the response was pretty remarkable right off the bat. So I knew that, uh, pretty early on in this process that I was going to be able to gather enough information to make the story worthwhile, that it wasn't going to be four people, uh, four former people, four, four former employees uh, who had freshly been fired and, and wanted to vent. I mean, these were current employees, uh, people who'd been uh, furloughed, people who'd been let go, uh, not only within the last uh, you know couple of months, but going back to last year. 
Uh, it was a it was a pretty good cross section of the company executives, rank and file, all the different parts of uh, you know the different departments. So um, you know, John and I felt pretty uh, pretty comfortable, and and so did our editors regarding the information that we were able to accumulate. So one of the things I think that was really interesting to me. I mean, so first of all, you know, I've said this in the intro before you and I came on here, but you know, your piece is a wide ranging piece about the experience people have working with the Pagulas, about the perspective of, you know, what the Pagulas maybe are motivated to try to accomplish through their ownership and the, their portfolio holdings, and also sort of the the way that which all of those things mix together and then are perceived by the fan community and, you know, by their employees who often are also, you know, prior or maybe still even during and after, they still are fans in some sense. One of the things I found so interesting, and this was actually just an anecdote that you shared on the Q&A with you and John today on The Athletic, was that somebody close to the Pagulas told you, or close to Kim Pagula, I think you said, told you that that they didn't think anybody was really going to care about this story because it wasn't about what happened on the field. Do, am I characterizing that right? Yeah, that's true. And I think that that's, you know, I understand that sentiment, especially coming from somebody who knew that I was gathering information. I mean, I put the request out there on Twitter for everybody to see. So uh, Pagula Sports and Entertainment knew that I was working on this story without me needing to reach out to them. And they had some discussions internally about how they wanted to handle it. Uh, this was before I had had reached out to them to get their side of the story. So, yeah, they were aware of it. It was definitely on their radar. And I think it's probably a common media relations or public relations conversation to have of, hey, do you really need to write this story uh, not that they were asking me to uh, not to write it, but just a conversation that they have. Do people really care about this? And I said that I thought that they would. And for the, all the different reasons uh, that you would care about who runs the Bills and Sabres as opposed to who runs Kaleida Health or who runs the Buffalo News or, you know, name a company in Western New York and do you really care what they do uh, as opposed to the people who are making decisions on one of the, if not, I think it's arguably the most prominent company in Western New York is Pagula Sports and Entertainment uh, based on what they mean and that they represent the Bills and the Sabres. And these are civic trusts and there are taxpayer dollars involved with their buildings, uh, their arena, their stadium. Uh, this is Buffalo's connection to relevancy, connection to the big time that is not, man, does Buffalo have terrible weather, being a national punchline for snow and blizzards and being made fun of, uh, you know, uh, having to shovel your snow in August, you know, all these different uh, things that people think about uh, Western New York. And here you have the Bills uh, making the playoffs two of the last three years. And, you know, the Sabres have, have their history and the Bills, of course, with four straight Super Bowl. I mean, we don't, this this has brought a lot of joy to the people of Western New York um, during tough times and uh, and during good times too. Uh, but I think that it's underestimated by uh, by the Pagulas, uh, by others over the course of time uh, in previous ownerships too. How much the fans care about everything that happens within these organizations. 
Um, they want to know who make these decisions, who who is in charge, who is handling our civic trust and um, and making the decisions that represent us. The words Buffalo are right there in the team names. I mean, they represent the region and uh, they represent Buffalo to people in California, people in Spain, you know, people in Japan. They're, people know the Buffalo Bills and the Buffalo Sabres and um and so, yeah, I think the fans care very much about who makes decisions, uh, anything that that uh, and and whether or not employees are are how they how they feel about working there. And that's really what I wanted to do with this story uh, was to provide a snapshot of how employees feel there. And it's something that I'd been hearing about uh, for you know, for, for a long time, for a year and a half, you know, people not feeling uh, particularly appreciated, taken for granted, uh, even going back to Russ Brandon uh, and the worst kept secrets uh, of his decision-making uh, outside and inside the office, I guess. But, uh, you know, there were people there that, that were encouraged when Russ uh, resigned and thought that it would be the dawn of a new day and uh, that workers would have a better say and their voices would be heard. But over time, they've felt less and less as though uh, their, their voices are heard. And, and this story, I think that my, you know, my objective was to gather the information if it was there and, and, uh, and have some people feel like, like, they, like they were being seen, like they were being understood, at least by somebody. Hmm. Well, I think that pretty close to mission accomplished, I would say, you know, I, I think that those people, I, I suppose, would be the ones who could who could characterize whether or not they feel that that's been done for them. But I think that many readers and myself included would say that we have a, a, a less opaque understanding of what it seems uh, to be going on or what is the, the priority for the Pagulas and, you know, how they're projecting that to their employees and the p- employees that are experiencing that. Well, let me let me peel back the my the curtain on this a little bit, Nick. And you know how this story came to be is is pretty straightforward. And I think anybody who was following on Twitter uh, last Tuesday, you know, saw it. But but maybe you know I've gotten a lot of um, comments, uh, mostly mostly positive. But there's a lot of feedback too about, well, geez, uh, the pandemic really has everybody bored. You're just looking for stories to write and. Uh, or that I have some sort of axe to grind against the Pagulas, uh, that this was a hit piece, which, well, look, we gave Kim an unedited and unabridged Q&A to answer all of these, um, all of these concerns that her employees raise. And in fact, uh, in the Q&A, she acknowledges these issues. So it's not as though these were invented. You know, Kim Pagula herself uh, addresses them in the Q&A. Uh, but the impetus to write this story uh, was was Twitter last Tuesday when the 21 terminations and the 104 furloughs were announced. And um, an employee sent me a screen grab of an internal email from Kim Pagula, who uh, two, work, uh, two, uh, two weeks earlier provided instructions on how employees could donate to their $1.2 million pandemic fund. And, um, you know, I just posted the screen grab. I didn't offer an opinion on whether it was right or wrong, but looking at it from the perspective of these 135 affected people uh, or the dozens of others wondering if they'll be next um, or the people who, who think maybe, uh, all right, these so-and-so may have deserved to be fired, but now I'm dreading the fact that I have to do more work if they don't replace this role or, uh, you know, I have to do more for less or at the same pay. 
uh, I could see how this one Buffalo idea could leave a bitter taste in some people's mouths. The idea of, hey, if you want to donate to our pandemic fund, just go ahead and, and, and use your credit card information and donate here or send a check here. And a lot of folks were upset at me because, hey, their companies do the same thing because those employees may have wanted to contribute because this is how life works. But my initial thought was, you know, just two weeks earlier that these people may have been making these donations. Now they're out of work uh, and maybe they wouldn't have made a donation if they knew that more cuts were coming, whether it be furloughs or terminations or what have you. And so. Again, like I'd mentioned earlier, I've been hearing for the past year that PSE employees were miserable and the cutbacks had been planned long before we'd heard of the word coronavirus and that morale was just in the dirt. Um, so I stopped myself and and I was about to get on Twitter and explain to people who were saying, what's the big deal about asking for donations? Uh, this is not, you know, whatever. And I, I needed I wanted to convey that morale is down and that you, you need to understand how these employees are viewing this. And uh, I stopped myself from tweeting anything more. And I thought if, if this is important sentiment for the public to consider, then I should put in the effort to write about whatever concerns these employees are having in a story. And uh, and there was no better way than to gather a large amount of information than to put it out there on Twitter that I was willing to listen. And I think um, I'm, I've been blessed uh, that in 30 years of doing this and the past 20 in Western New York, uh, that I've built up a reputation as somebody who you can trust to tell your story. And um, I wasn't sure what the response was going to be, but uh, I was up until the wee hours of, of Wednesday morning, just replying to people, talking to them on the phone, texting, emailing, uh, thanking them for trusting me. And uh, they were sending me internal documents and emails that I was able to verify. And, and so the initial response was a little overwhelming and it spilled over into, into uh, that all day, that Wednesday and into Thursday. And, um, uh, you know, obviously it was a reflection that there, uh, and again, people who are still employed there uh, were a, a large percentage of, uh, of the respondents. And I think to me that just showed that these people were, they just needed to they needed to make sure that they knew that that uh, that the public knew what they were dealing with and that it that it isn't just one buffalo. Were any of the things that you heard surprising to you or significantly different than maybe what you expected or based on the sentiment you already thought existed? Was it mostly confirmation or were there some differences, whether in extreme or just in general sentiment? The general sentiment I'd known, and it really the surprises to me were some of the anecdotal, you know, things, the examples. I had heard about the video presentations that Kim Pagula had made from the home office in, in Boca Raton regarding uh, the Pagula family goals and laying them out as winning championships, uh, sustainability, and the return on the investment. And then the portion of, within the return on investment was maintaining a lifestyle and how that really stung uh, a lot of employees, uh, not just at the bills, but uh, all throughout PSE because word travels fast, especially among people who are bitter and their morale is low. And this was just another, can you believe she actually said this moment um, that made people feel even worse. And as one source says that I quoted in the story, uh, said uh, it was worse than the day Ralph Wilson died. The, the response after these meetings is words getting around that 
even though the Bills have made the playoffs two of the last three years and everybody feels like everything that, that it's moving in the right direction finally, that they're getting some traction with the culture and, and with uh, the pipeline of, of young star players, uh, or hopefully they'll be star players, um, that, that raises uh, shouldn't be expected, that bonuses should not be expected, that your budgets may get reduced and, 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 and expect them to be reduced almost, uh, that pennies were going to be pinched. I mean, it was demoralizing uh, in build, the bills. The other element of this, or one of the elements of it too, is that the bills have kind of been insulated from the PSE Sabres angst, you know, whether it be the outs, the external pressures of the fans making on them, their internal pressures of trying to do well and not being able to succeed, all their various failures on the ice, off the ice, the continued embarrassments of, you know, we've seen the stories and what's been going around, uh, whether it's accurate or not, uh, the PSC people who you know kind of let the public run wild with the narrative of of uh, the, the misspelled jerseys and the tickets now need to be scaled differently and uh, ticket increases. And uh, is Jason Bottrell uh, fit for the job? And just there's this there was this information void that allowed people to throw in all of their worst fears regarding the Sabres and is Jack Eichel, does, does he even want to be here anymore? And anyways, um, the messaging has been really poor. And the so the employees are, are have been feeling this for a long period of time, feeling like they're, you know, obviously they, they're prideful and they blame themselves, but also think, well, we're not getting a lot of help. But, you know, it's a standard dysfunction in, in an organization. And this just happens to be on the international stage, or at least the North American stage when it comes to a National Hockey League team um, and just getting ripped apart on a daily basis by the fans, by the media. Um, so but the Bills were immune to, or insulated from that. And now here's Kim Pagula telling Bill staffers about pension pennies because their other businesses aren't making money. And uh, and one of the reasons that she dares to mention is to maintain the lifestyle now. I think what she I think what she was trying to get at with that is is trying to make a point that look, Ralph Wilson and his foundation is giving away the money that he made off of the bills, uh, giving to all these charitable organizations in Western New York and Detroit area uh, where Ralph lived, and you know the Pagulas aren't aren't a charity. You know that we are we need to make money at this. Um, it just was, I think, a, a, a huge, it was a, it was a devastatingly bad misstep for Kim Pagula to try to explain to people that maintaining the family lifestyle is something that needs to be considered um, when, um, when, when moving forward with various decisions on the Bills, the Sabres, PSE, and all the other pieces of the, the PSE portfolio. Agreed. I mean, it seems tone deaf would be a polite way to phrase it. You know what I mean? Uh, I think also because people people project onto the Pagulas this, I mean, and not probably inaccurately, you know, talking about a super yacht that is in production for them, uh, a type of experience that is wholly different from what the average, you know, stereotypical Buffalo, New you know, Western New Yorker experiences. And to, you know, create, do you believe that there actually is a dichotomy there? Was it just, was it simply just a misstep as far as 
saying something that she wishes she could take back and rephrase? Or is there some truth to, you know, the way in which people received it and, and the, the tone deaf nature of it in your, from, from, I guess, your perspective or from, from interacting with her and with the people that heard that message? Well, Nick, I, I think the answer to that can be yes to both. I think she would like to take it back or at least to have a different, have, an, have another chance at that uh, presentation. Um, but I think people accepted it at face value and words matter. And, you know, to, to deliver bad news like that or to try to, you know, get ahead and be transparent and tell your workforce, you know, that, uh, that we're, we're going to need everybody to pull together you don't separate yourself like that. You know, you, you need to include yourself uh, when you, when delivering a message like that, and and you want to maintain morale. And um, you know, I don't think that anybody would fault the Pagulas for building the super yacht, and maybe you still shouldn't. I mean, they've earned their wealth. Uh, they've paid. Uh, they've made sacrifices. I'm sure they took the chance. They Terry Pagula years years ago made the risk uh, to. Uh, to go off on his own and, and try to make money at, with uh, East resources and, and struck it rich by being able to shell uh, sell to uh, Royal Dutch shell for 4.7 billion or whatever it was. Um, but the dichotomy to me is the Terry Pagula of 2011 versus the Terry Pagula of 2020, the guy who won everybody over and got everyone so throbbingly excited that here comes this owner who is does not care about the bottom line. He just wants to win championships and makes that famous statement about if I need any more money, I'm just going to go dig another well. You know, f yeah. You know, we this isn't cheap, Ralph. This isn't Tom Galasano slashing the uh, the scouting department and making them look at players uh, on video uh, rather than going to all the various rinks around the world to look for talent. And you know, we are finally got it. We had an owner who just DGAF. I mean, here he, here we go. Uh, but now it, the message is the opposite. It's that, you know, we, the Pagulas are, are letting their employees know we can't just bail everybody out and we can't just buy out coaches and have a lot of dead money laying around uh, tied up in people who don't work for us anymore, like Rex Ryan or Tim Murray or whomever. Um, we can't just throw money at it. We can't, you know, the, they, they made a hundred plus million dollar donation to Penn State to, for a hockey arena. Uh, they're buying, they're overspending on, you know, spending $7 million on 79 Perry Street, you know, which was a building that was, I don't even know what was in it, you know, before, but, you know, the cobblestone area, you know, could not have been that, that, that significant from a real estate standpoint. I mean, they were throwing money around the, the Harbor Center. It started off at, whatever, a low hundreds uh, in terms of projections as to how much it was going to cost to make. I think once the shovel was in the ground, it was $175 million. And by the time uh, the, uh, the Pagulas had decided about a hotel and restaurants and all these other things that they wanted to add to it and, and get fancy, it was over $200 million. So these are just run-ups that it's like that didn't matter before. But now with the price of uh, petroleum and natural gas uh, you know, falling through the floor, uh, they, Terry Pagula can't just go dig another well anymore. And it's, um, things are different now and they're ambitious, um, 
over, I think, uh, especially in retrospect, over aggressive view in, t- in, tr- in trying to build up that that PSE portfolio with all these different types of companies that have nothing to do with winning football or hockey games. Uh, they're now cutting back because they have to. And it's, you know, a lot of people took jobs to work for PSE, trusting in Terry and, and Kim Pagula's business acumen uh, to get them, you know, to, to have careers and to, you know, these were dream jobs for a lot of people. And, uh, and now there's a human toll. Now these people are losing their jobs uh, that people who relocated to Western New York from other places are out. Uh, you know, so that, yeah, that's the Pagulas are correcting past mistakes and they should be applauded for that. But I think it can't be, it should not be ignored that there's a human toll to all of these mistakes and, or to, to many of these mistakes. And um, that, 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 that human toll is impacting the people who've been left behind. And um, it matters. And I think that people, people, uh, people are showing that with how they're reacting to this story. I've got a Bill-specific question, but, but while we're kind of in this, in this space talking about how the Pagula started and where we've gotten to now, the thing about the, that Kim Pagula, where she made the comment about the family lifestyle, it, there's a certain aspect of that that is candid. You know, I think you maybe used the word candor when you were transparent, transparency, right? Like, and that is a desirable characteristic, right? I mean, that's something that I think people value in in all aspects of of human interaction, whether it's at your workplace or not. But this one obviously landed wrong. It, it, it's maybe impossible to describe, but from your perspective having had these conversations with all these people and also having a, a decent sense on how I think fans feel about everything. What is it that fans want from their owners? I mean, you having covered the Sabres too for during the period of time when you did experienced a whole nother experience of ownership, you know, the bills myself being primarily a bills fan more than a Sabres fan. All I ever knew was Ralph and now Terry. It's it's so it's interesting to me, I guess, because like you have so few owners in an ideal situation in a fan's entire lifetime. That what is that dynamic supposed to look like? Well, that's a great question. Um, I think you want them to hire the right people and get out of the way, uh, but but spend their money. You know, you don't want your owners to be broke. Uh, you don't want them to be the Florida Marlins. You know, you don't want them to be constantly cash strapped. Uh, you want them to spend a lot of money. Uh, you want them to take the occasional chance. Um, but I think uh, a lot of the best organizations uh, or you know the, the teams, it seems as though as though you're hiring the right people and then getting out of the way. But you know Kim Pagula is now president of all five of the the sports teams. And the quote it was mentioned uh, one one person that I interviewed for this story. You'll put it quite eloquently. President of an NFL or NHL team is not a part-time job. Uh, And so if she's president of all these teams, um, she's spreading herself very thin and maybe getting out of the way too much. Right. Well, or maybe she's, yeah, she's trying to do too much or, you know, she, yeah, unintentionally getting out of the way because, you know, she's down in Florida 51% of the time uh, for tax purposes and, um, you know, you can't lead by video conference. So you need to be in the building, which is another uh, um, sentiment that was brought up to me. But uh, it's uh, the inner circle has gotten smaller and less experienced as a lot of these uh, terminations have happened over the past year and a half. Um, 
And it's really reminiscent to me of when Tom Donahoe uh, was president of the Bills and Ralph Wilson felt uh, you had to fire Tom Donahoe. He thought Tom Donahoe had too much control, made some mistakes, and Ralph had felt burned by that experience that uh, and, and that he would never give somebody like that too much power again. And, and really that fed into the playoff drought because Ralph then went through a phase where he could only trust people who were close to him. That's how Russ Brandon uh, gained power throughout the organization at, uh, throughout the years and, and becoming general manager for a short period of time. And then he was replaced by Marv Levy, who had never been a general manager before, but Ralph trusted him. That's why Buddy Nix comes back because Ralph had familiarity with Buddy and from the uh, John Butler days. And so Buddy Nix comes back. And, and, and so I feel like, and based on the comments that she made in the, uh, for the story in which, you know, I asked her about, there were some feelings of nepotism uh, among people, uh, among some of the employees there because the kids, uh, the Pagula kids have their own projects, uh, the healthy scratch restaurant for, for Jesse and, and for Kelly Pagula, um, Jesse Pagula's skincare line. Uh, there are significant others who have jobs within the organization, and they seem to be gaining uh, in influence within uh, within PSE. And Kim was unapologetic about that, and I think she has every right to feel this way. She that they have felt burned by people that they've trusted. I, she doesn't mention names, but I think you could throw out uh, Russ Brandon and Michael Gilbert and Pat LaFontaine and people that they took chances on that they felt uh, that didn't work out. Um, and now they're going to do it with people that they're comfortable with. And she even makes the, the quote, and I'm paraphrasing that, um, you know, experience, uh, trust uh, can go farther than experience when it comes to leadership. And so they're going through a phase now, or maybe it's not a phase, maybe it's permanent. Anyways, they're going, they, they are kind of, uh, I'm sorry to say, circling their wagons and uh, they are making sure that they have people who they can trust with them as opposed to going out and, and, and giving other people more, more responsibilities who might be coming in. You know, people talk about a, a hockey czar, football czar. It'll be curious to see how they replace Dave Wheat, the chief administrative officer who'd been with the Bills for 20 years. Uh, his contract was not renewed in February, so it'll be interesting to see how they how they handle that. But yeah, it's uh, the dynamic is is fascinating and is uh, certainly worth monitoring, which was the point of the story. I think we this is a this podcast obviously part of the Buffalo Rumblings podcast network. So we, oh wait, this is Buffalo. Oh, <laughs> yeah, all right. See you later, guys. Fooled you long <laughs> enough, right? The so I want to I do want to get Bills specific. At least for a brief time. By the way, I love Buffalo Rumblings. I know I was I was just being a wise guy. I, we we love you, Tim. Huge fan of, of Buffalo Rumblings. You know, the story, I think, rightfully. Well, I should, how how would I know, right? But the, the story seemed to reinforce that there is a a level of insulation, but that maybe that level was deteriorating. You know, is maybe the the, the gist that that I got from reading it, and I'll let you clarify that if it's true, but that would be a concern because the Bills are experiencing success, and the Bills also have a a public perception that they have got their shit in order more than any time in recent <laughs> recent history, right? And they have a very, what seems to be from the outside as a fan who pays attention as closely as I can, 
they have a very organized, intentional perception and and the way in which that they speak about things, typically through Sean McDermott or Brandon Bean, you know, things are, you know, to steal something from Russ Brandon, they are in lockstep. I mean, th- those guys are on the same page and they're intentional about what they what they say and don't say. And the kind of haphazardness or sloppiness that seems to have come to characterize the Sabres does not seem to be the same sort of issue with the Bills, again, from the outside. With your interactions with people who are a part of the organizations or through the Pagula's portfolio across multiple properties, how does how deep does that insulation go with the Bills or how much is that morale, you know, outside of the story where the, the gentleman or the gal said that it was like the day worse than the day than, that Ralph Wilson died. What else did you hear about people from the Bills organization specifically? Well, they are that there's concern and not that this is a fait accompli, that uh, the Bills are about to be uh, overtaken by the dark cloud that has been over PSE and the Sabres for the past few years. But there are two very knowledgeable sources of mine told me that Sean McDermott is concerned about this becoming an issue. I think that it's not an issue yet. Uh, maybe it doesn't become an issue, but you know, Dave Wheat had been there for 20 years and was the highest ranked executive for the Bills that was only the Bills. So he was the only he was the number one guy in that building that did not uh, work for PSE or the Sabers or across any kind of uh, different properties within the portfolio, and. Uh, Sources also told me that the reason he wasn't renewed is because he was resistant to the different synergies and all the different things that uh, PSE wanted to have across um, across all properties, including the bills. And and that Dave, that uh, these sources were to tell me that, that Dave Wheat's general thinking was, we we have a good thing going here. You know, let's let's just keep the bills. This it's one thing, and the Sabers should be its one thing, and. And then PSE can handle the different, pro- however, but, and that uh, the Pagulas didn't think that he was a team guy because of his, uh, his mentality in that, in that way. So they decided to move on from him. Uh, he wasn't fired, but his contract was not renewed. And, um, and I do think that there is just concern of uh, who's, who's this next person going to be that comes in. Is there going to be another person that comes in uh, who will choose it? Uh, I don't know. Maybe Sean McDermott ends up handpicking the guy to come in for the role. I'm not sure. Um, and maybe that appeases uh, some people there and, and helps. Uh, but, uh, you know, Sean McDermott is very aware. And he has, as I mentioned in the story, he and Brandon Bean have taken a methodical, meticulous, holistic view of morale uh, within what Bill's drive. Everybody is a part of that team. And while you and I and the, the average fan or, you know, the ca- you know, even the casual fan or the diehard fan knows that's not, you know, Josh Allen is a little bit more important than the guy who scoops the mashed potatoes uh, at lunchtime. But Sean McDermott goes out of his way to make sure that the food service people feel like they are part of the team. We've seen buffalobills.com post those videos uh, over and again regarding Sean McDermott uh, given bringing, bringing Bill's employees in to give a standing ovation to the lunch workers or uh, you know whomever within the organization. Everybody is meant to feel a part of that team. But when you start having breakdowns and morale is low, and then disloyalty festers, 
Then you have people who you wanted to keep within the organization looking to leave. Maybe they're bad-mouthing the team. Uh, Maybe they're bad-mouthing PSE as a place to work. Uh, One of the sources from my story says that when he or she is approached in public and people know where, where they work, that they are informed, don't apply. You know, like, hey, how do I get a job at PSE? I'd love, I mean, I'd love to work there. And no, you don't want to work there. Don't even bother. So that is, you know, going so opposite of the one Buffalo mentality that is preached, but the employees do not feel is practiced, uh, that it is not all for one, one for all, pulling in the same direction, a brotherhood, sisterhood, family. No, they feel as though it's, uh, it's, it's pretty raggedy. And, uh, and that's why I think that uh, they were so eager to, I think, set the record straight uh, about one Buffalo being a, a public relations campaign more than it is a, a, any kind of company ethos. Did anybody characterize to you how Brandon Bean specifically is experiencing or, or thinking about these potential worries? So Sean McDermott specifically was mentioned to you by a source as aware, concerned potentially that it could be a problem. Not, it recognizes it's not now, but could be. Did anybody similarly get into the Brandon Bean perspective with you? You know, Brandon Bean, and you know, he and Sean McDermott are very tight and I, their concerns are shared. Uh, but also, I should point out that this isn't something that they stew about every day. These meetings, these video conferences that Kim Pagula held that really raised eyebrows happened in January. And you do have some downtime and then the pandemic hits and everything's thrown out of whack. And I think that, you know, Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean have just been trying to put together a competent and uh, and uh, and big draft you know, performance. Uh, you, we, we had the trades that the fr- you know, free agency comes pretty quickly after the Super Bowl, uh, the Stefan Diggs trade. Uh, so the Bills have had enough to keep their minds occupied and not stressing about this. I think the, the point to make is that it is definitely on their radar and it is a concern. Uh, I don't think, though, that this is a situation where uh, Sean McDermott is, uh, you know, banging down Kim Pagula's office door at One Bills Drive, or on the phone with Terry Pagula uh, every every forty five minutes to see what's what's being done to fix this. But um, but everything these that's the thing that makes Sean McDermott who Sean McDermott is. The details, these little things. I mean, Matthew Fairburn's written uh, wrote a, a story about it where we got into his reading habits. He's read practically every book on leadership sports psychology, management technique. I mean, this guy devours it. He lives this stuff. Uh, When he came to the Bills, he had a plan in place that got rid of the leaks, that got rid of the people who were loyal to previous regimes. He even brought in a new chaplain. I mean, he was meticulous in piecing this together. And then Brandon Bean, who came along after that uh, draft class, after the Bills moved on from Doug Whaley a few months later, uh, these guys have painstakingly put this together, and now there are these outside forces, these things that they don't have control over because of PSC and because of the company and the way it's structured. And apparently with the way PSE wants to bring the bills into that fold, yeah, these are things that he, you know, these may, there may be some things that are outside his control as bad morale can be a cancer within any organization. And uh, it, it's certainly an issue. At this point... 
you know, I think that people who are wondering if this is going to have some sort of impact with Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean is would, would acknowledge that their contracts, you know, are, are currently, I believe, have two years left on them. At this point, you were very careful to say, like, that this is something that is a concern but hasn't stretched its tentacles into the Bills organization the way that it, it has maybe more wholesale and savers. Right. And, and let me let me also emphasize this too, Nick. I mean, these guys are all in. It's not as though Sean McDermott or Brandon being so pissed off about these developments that they're looking to leave. I mean, I, I did see a little bit of that, you know, people throwing those question marks out there like, oh, my gosh, I mean, how bad is this? Uh, you know, same as they would for, hey, when is Jack Eichel going to get sick of this and want to leave? You know, that's you're reading maybe too much into it. Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean are all in on this. They're proud of what they've built. Uh, they're excited about the future. Uh, they believe in uh, in Josh Allen, so they feel that they have their quarterback in place. Um, I think I, I would predict that they both sign contract extensions. You know, that's not based on any specific knowledge about it, other than I'm sure both sides would love to get those deals done. So, you know, I think it would have to be, you know, something disastrous would have to happen uh, for anybody to want to move on. So, uh, but, you know, I think with two years left on these contracts you and um, the fact that they've established their credibility, their credentials here in Western New York, these are guys that I think they've proven themselves uh, within their first couple of, you know, first three years on the job. So I think, and, and let's also factor in the, the chaos that the pandemic caused you know, the, as soon as the combine's over, the NFL schedule has resumed, but in a totally different way. Everybody's separate. Uh, you know, uh, do you, you know, the free agency's out of whack. And uh, now now the draft, everybody's trying to figure out the best way to do the draft. And is our, our Wi-Fi going to work on Thursday night? And um, so, but I do think that you know, I would suspect that we maybe hear something even, you know, shortly after the draft of, uh, of Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott being extended, or at least that they're in talks for something like that. So, but it's, it's, it'll be interesting to watch if we get to the season and they haven't signed, uh, and they have another good one. I mean, who knows? I mean, I I don't want to just throw out speculation out there. It's just something to monitor. And that's kind of the other, you know, one of the purposes of this story is gives you some things to think about and to know what's happening behind the scenes that gives you some context, some nuance as to uh, you know, maybe how th- how people are thinking. You know, maybe you see another big departure from the executive side or people in leadership being let go or there's more terminations down the road or, you know, who knows what. But then you'll at least be able to say, all right, well, this is uh, maybe uh, a little bit more of, of what Tim and John Vogel were, were writing about. I think that clarity is helpful because, like you said, immediately the worst case scenario for what these could extrapolate into gets suggested as though it's already in the works, right? With Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott and, and you know, sure. clarifying that is not the case, I think, is actually helpful. Yeah, I didn't even mention in the story that there are, they have two years left in their contract. I don't feel that that's ominous, but I do think that they've earned extensions for sure. Uh, they deserve them. And maybe a little overdue, but there have been so many extenuating circumstances with the past couple of months that, I mean, I don't think that there's reason to uh, ring any alarm bells. Yeah. In some ways, I'll, I'll leave this without any qualifiers. Are you at all sympathetic 
to the Pagulas and the difficulties that they have had running these teams and, and trying to find success and transition from the previous regimes to them being owners? I can empathize. Yeah, I uh, for sure. I understand all of it. I think that if you, you know, to take a look at the story, there are some things in there that you don't like. Maybe uh, take a look at Kim Pagula's Q&A and read some of her comments and think, ooh, I don't like the sound of that. But you can understand all of it. I don't think there's anything in there that is so out of whack that it's like, oh, my God, this is, you know, this is uh, apocalyptic or it's uh, or this is so unusual as to be uh, to be uh, worrisome uh, for down the road, uh, you know, in terms of them selling the teams or anything. I think that they are going through they're going through they're trying to do what's what they feel is best for the teams, for themselves. Um, I don't feel, I mean, this isn't uh, whoever with the name of the owner from the movie Major League. They're not trying to gut the organizations to move them somewhere else. Uh, They're not, uh, you know, people used to think that about Ralph and why would he dare move the move games to Toronto and any ulterior motives. You know, I don't, I, I think that you could look at everything that the Pagulas are going through and understand you might not like it. Uh, you may wish it were not so, um, but you know, the, the plummeting oil prices and the fact that they've been burned by, uh, one executive in particular who couldn't keep it in his pants, uh, or they felt like they gave people a long leash uh, and a chance to earn their jobs after they took over the Sabres or bills. And then just then found out too late that these people were looking out for themselves. You know, I think that this happens. I mean, they're human beings. Um, and you know, they were in the oil business. They were in a private business where nobody paid any attention other than the fact that it was fracking and that there was, you know, controversy around that. But in terms of East resources, nobody cared who their number two lieutenant was. I mean, I, I, there's no media guide for East resources because nobody cares. You know, nobody wants to know who's handling the hiring at East resources. But when you take over a hockey team, uh, and a football team. And again, I keep using this phrase because I think it's important. These are civic trusts. There's community ownership of these teams, whether it be through taxpayer dollars or just fan emotional investment. And fans feel, and the media too, we we pay attention to all of these things. They live, fans live and die with every decision. You know, the, going back to when I was covering, you know, Russ Brandon, when he was uh, in charge of the Bills uh, under Ralph Wilson, people cared who John Over- uh, Jim Overdorf was. People cared who Scott Birchtold was. You know, there were <laughs> it was you, you wouldn't think they should, but they did. And the fans just want to know who is making these decisions. And um, and I think that the Pagulas, it's taken them a while to to learn that uh, everything is under the microscope and um and again, you know, this story is, is proof of it, uh, that people care about this and um, it shouldn't be overlooked. I don't really have a question about this. I guess I'll just I'll make a statement and see if you have any additional thoughts on it. I find it really, really interesting that you just touched on this, that fans, they want 
they, I, the reason I think we care about who Scott Birchtold is and who Jim Overdorf is and what exactly does Jim Overdorf do? Doug Whaley says his name all the time at press conferences, but we never get to talk to Jim. We don't, you know, he's he's one of the guys who is a holdover. You know, you've you've scratched a particular itch for me here. Now oh, you've boy. you've picked a scab that I now I want to get into, but I we won't. But you know, but you know, Jim is a, is a holdover from the. Uh, Ralph Wilson days, and there's not a whole lot of those kinds of guys left, right? So all of this interest, but part of it, I think, is like I, I'm trying to describe my own interest, and, and you can tell me if this is a sentiment that you recognize or have ever seen in others, is that I kind of want I want to have my cake and eat it too, and what I mean by that is I want to not only have success on the field, but I want to, you know, because of how emotionally invested. I am in this team as a fan and how I think many other fans are also emotionally invested in, in what this what this team, what these teams provide to with us, with our personal identities, rightly or wrongly, you know, whether we should or shouldn't. That, that's, you know, I think a fact of how this all operates. I not only want to see the success on the field, but I want to feel really good about the kind of people that are that are making it all happen. Sure. You know what I mean? I don't want to have, I I don't want to do it simply by hiring the biggest, baddest mercenaries to come in and, and, and defeat my enemies. You know what I mean? I want to do it with it, you know, in a way that maybe isn't even realistic. And I think that that might be part of where all of this fan interest in some of these inner workings that nobody gives any care in the world, right, about any of their other private holdings and their businesses outside of the sports world. But here we do because we want to, you know, we, that's might be my, my guess at, at why we want that. And I would be curious at whether or not you think that resonates. No, I, I think I agree 100 percent. I echo exactly what you just said. I don't really know that I can add much more to it. Um, you know, the names Buffalo are in the name or are, are in the or what they call themselves, that they represent the people from here and they want to be represented in a good way. You know, I don't think that uh, maybe you can get away with acting like Jerry Jones. If you win a couple of Super Bowls, now it's been a long time for Jerry, but at least he can say he's done it. Um, You want your, you want to be, have good people. And if you're, especially if you're not known for winning, which hasn't been the case uh, and granted, the Bills, again, we've said it a bunch of times, two of the last three years they made the playoffs. But, yeah, hey, it's not too far in the rearview mirror uh, how uh, awful it was. And with what the Sabres are going through now, if, um, if, if you're not going to win, can we at least have some people who are easy to root for? And I'm not saying that about the players. I mean, the players, uh, I don't think that uh, there are any you know, character problems or anything like that. But I think um, – or, or even go with, I'll, I'll take a step back. I mean, like a Rex Ryan, you can get away with being Rex Ryan. If you're getting to the East, to the uh, AFC championship game, your first couple of years with the jets. But after that, you're acting wears thin and you become an embarrassment to, to your fans and the team that they, they root for. Um, so yeah, you do, you want to feel, you want to feel like these people are, you know, that, that you got their back and they got your back. And, um, that's part of that's that's part of that one Buffalo ethos, right? It's that's what you want. It's what made that's why everybody felt so good about it in the early stages. Like, wow, this is a cool thing. And they do the flip card stunt at uh, at uh, what was then known as Ralph Wilson Stadium, one Buffalo. And gosh, they they saved our team, and we don't have to worry about them moving. And um, but 
as time goes on and you hear, you know, that the employees don't feel valued and, and that they, that there's this human toll for this overambitious approach that, uh, that the Pagulas and PSC took to trying to build an empire. Uh, I think a lot of people look at it and say uh, they feel they're probably feeling a little hoodwinked these days. Is there any way that the one Buffalo marketing whatever that is, the marketing tactic or the marketing campaign that is, that existed, that was one Buffalo. Is that, I mean, at this point, is that maybe over? I mean, they, they could continue to roll it out there. Right. But I mean, it's, it seems hard for me to believe that that is going to be something that is going to continue to be a drum that they can beat. And everyone is going to feel good about the sentiment it's supposed to represent. Yeah. I, I feel like, you know, and even in doing this story to go to the one buffalo.com website, uh, the merchandise is pretty thin these days. Uh, maybe people had stopped even buying it. Um, you know, the one Buffalo beer was not received very well. Um, I tried it a few times. I thought it was swill and I don't think that I ever heard anybody say how great it was. Um, and so you'd see one Buffalo slapped on a bunch of things. And I think people caught on pretty quickly that this is not, um, you know, this, this, this is a marketing ploy. This is, this is a brand they're selling it to us. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, I, I just don't think that it took off or it took root. It could have, I think, but I think it just got, uh, it was, it was sold, uh, on different things. Um, just too many products and, and, and being around. And so anyways, yeah, I think that, uh, and the Sabres, I think, play a, a big part in that. You know, it, while things are going well for the Bills, I, what the, the fan experience with the Buffalo Sabres for the past few years has been so putrid. I mean, those fans, uh, I mean, thank God for Western New York that the Bills are playing well because how bleak it is uh, regarding the bills. It feels worse now than during the bankruptcy and the Regus era. The Sabres uh, uh, owners were led away in handcuffs at one point. I was covering the team then. And while the Adelphia part of it certainly scarred Western New York, the Sabres part, despite the, the, um, the bankruptcy and Gary Bettman running the team for a little while, they seemed to bounce back a little bit. They didn't make the playoffs for a couple of years. They went without Hashik, but they still had some likable people. People still liked Lindy Ruff. They liked Marty Baran. Uh, and then they, you know, built it back up eventually after the lockout, but still the, the angst of, of the Sabres fan is way worse today than it was back during that time. And, uh, and, you know, so people see one Buffalo and yeah, they, they like the idea. Um, but it's, it's half, there's half of it, you know, you, but not, you take a look at one Buffalo that's supposed to be partly the Sabres, their colors are in it, right? Uh, it's Bill's colors and Sabres colors. And you say, all right, well, I feel good about half of one Buffalo. I feel good about half Buffalo. Uh, so yeah, I think that the one Buffalo brand is, has really faded. It's really lost a, a lot of its luster. One of the critiques that has been laid against the Pagulas, especially earlier this season with the hockey team, and not so much with the Bills, but maybe just a little bit, is that the Pagulas either A, don't care, or that they, they truly don't understand how bad the fan experience was right, and then we had the Dwayne caller, and and these are some these are kind of these Ebenezer's that have happened even in recent history that, that kind of allow us to mark where how how far are we down this path? 
you have interacted with them in the limited way in which you have. I mean, even the fact that that Kim and you you know you guys released the Q and A in its entirety unedited, but that she addressed everything, that she acknowledged the things that she did. I, I don't want to come off as um, you know defending them on my end of things because I don't you know that's necessarily my place or your place. But do you get the sense that they do truly? care and that they want to get it right? I th- they want to get it right. I think that they are embarrassed by a lot of what's happened. Uh, I think that they, yes, they do care. Do they have the right people around them who stress to them how to get it done or the ways to listen or the ways to tap into uh, the mentality of the fan that i I am skeptical of, do they really, are they getting steered in the right direction? I think they'd love nothing more than to fix everything. Um, but I think, you know, there's people around them who constantly talk about how aloof the Pagulas are. Um, you can, you can tell them things, but that doesn't necessarily mean they'll listen. I mean, I don't know. That's, that's people, I think, defending themselves to a certain degree. Um, yeah, I, I think that, but I think that they could stand to have uh, some different sounding boards uh, within their organization, even if it's for selfish reasons, they would want to get everything fixed. You know, they want a, to put a, among their goals, they want to win championships and sustain these businesses and get a return on their investment. And the best way to do that is to fix the, the morale and how the fans feel about the Sabres and, um, you know, get people in the seats and, and build up season ticket uh, um, numbers and the whole thing. Um, but it seems, and, and I mean, I'm thinking right now of the the employee surveys that were written about in, in the story uh, and the employees who were urged to be honest and they felt they were. Uh, and then it comes back that the two problems that were raised most often were goal setting and uh, develop a career development. And everybody I spoke to said, all right, we all talked among each other. And, and this was not what we put on these surveys. And, you know, because are they turning a blind eye to the problems? Do they, do they have, who's telling them the information from these surveys? Maybe they're being told, you know, emperor has no clothes type thing. Uh, We don't want to pass along that the employees are miserable. I don't know. I, I guess that's something that I can't know. Unless somebody would would have that conversation with me, how do you think this whole story and and everything else that has happened does it set the Pagulas up as being significantly different from any other ownership you know entity in in major league sports? I mean, so we paying attention primarily to our team, probably again, and only having a couple of owners or one owner for a significant portion of a person's life, how different are these struggles that the Pagulas are experiencing compared to what happens in other places in major league sports? Well, you know, that's a great question. And it's really hard to say, uh, you know, I've, I've covered different owners. Uh, I covered an ownership change down uh, in Miami when Wayne Huizenga sold to Stephen Ross. Uh, when I was at ESPN, I, I, technically covered Robert Kraft. I covered Woody Johnson. Uh, you know, I, I covered Tom Galasano. I covered the Reguses. I was actually in the courtroom when they were arraigned and walked in with uh, handcuffs uh, and uh, no shoelaces 
because as part of the you know the thing you you have to give up your belt and your shoelaces so you're you don't uh, kill yourself in the in the cell um i'm sure you know the pagulas are part of a new breed of owner um you know that not that long ago 10 15 years ago certainly 20 years ago pretty much most owners in sports came from old money you know they were second third generation wealthy um the Pagulas made their wealth within the last 15 years, you know, within the last 20 for sure. But um, Terry Pagula didn't, you know, sell to Royal Dutch Shell until, you know, relatively recently compared to what the Maras and the Fords and the McCaskies and the Bidwells, I mean, go through. I mean, it's just like old, old money. Um, Steve, but, but now you have guys like Mark Cuban. And Steve Bashotti with the Baltimore Ravens and uh, Steve Ballmer and guys who made their money in tech. And uh, uh, it's uh, it's different. And so, uh, you know, the, the fact that the Pagulas have their money tied up in petroleum and it's recent petroleum as opposed to some others who have been like Jerry Jones. But it goes back and, you know, they've 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 maybe built their empires a little more slowly. Uh, yeah, I think that. um it's, it's just different. I don't think that they are unique, uh, but there are different dynamics involved. And uh, I think that the Pagulas just, you know, they had their money. Uh, they had a lot of it. It seemed as though they were going to, you know, that, that money was just no object. And in fact, they told us that on, on both occasions when they bought the teams, uh, the, the oil well, go dig another well comment with, with the Sabres. And, um, you know, Terry Pagula talking about how the, the, don't worry, this, the bills are going to be here for generations to come. And, uh, you know, money and they, they acted as though money were no object with get moving on from coaches, moving on from contracts. We don't care. We'll pay it. Uh, we need to make a change. And um, it, it, it's, that's obviously, well, apparently uh, looks like that's going to be uh, uh, harder to do for them moving forward. I'm going to ask you my last question, but kind of relate it back to the first question. The, the first thing that I, well, I spoke with you about was about the anecdote you shared that somebody at PSE or, you know, connected to the Ghoulers made the comment to you that nobody was going to care about this story. And the sentiment maybe behind that was that fans really only care about what happens on the field. I think the true sentiment was, why don't you reconsider writing this story? <laughs> That's probably <laughs> it. But sure. Well, that was maybe the case they were they were maybe pleading to you, right? Like this doesn't have. I, any and I understand the, the conversation. I said, look, I understand where you're coming from, but I think I mean, I think you understand where I'm coming from. And the, we we met it, and we we're like, yeah, okay, I understand where you're coming from, Tim. And I'm like, okay, and I understand where you're yeah. coming from, but the story is okay. going to be written. So, if both teams were successful. I mean, for longer than the Bills have had their recent stint of success. If the if the Bills were AFC championship contenders, you know, and have been for the past five, six, seven years, and the Sabres were in a similar place, if the teams were winning, would we care about this story to the same degree? No, I don't think so, because everybody's blinded by winning. And, you know, just think of all of the, the times when the teams were winning and you, can, you can't criticize anybody. Right. When when the teams are winning. Let's perfect example. In fact, it's uh, it's even deeper of an example today based on what I'm seeing on social media, the feedback from my story. When Tom Golisano bought the Sabres, 
he was not hailed as a white knight so much. I mean, he, yeah, he bought the Sabres. Everybody took a wait-and-see approach. He laid off a lot of people when he started because the Regis empire, there were so many people at the Sabres who were also empire sports people who were WNSA people. And there was this Adelphia. It was just a fat organization. So Tom Golisano took it over, got rid of uh, various people. And so everybody was like still looking at it like, okay, what does this guy know what he's doing? And it wasn't until after the lockout, of course, that the 05-06 team with Briere and Drury and Brian Campbell and Ryan Miller and Vanek and the whole thing, and it captures uh, you know the, the region by storm. But I recall when uh, Chris Neal uh, gave Chris Drury the uh, concussion. And so Tom Galisano takes out a full-page ad in USA Today to Gary Bettman in which he questions the, I mean, he had the money to do it. Imagine that, an owner taking out a full-page ad in USA Today against Gary Bettman to say, you need to take a look at how you're doing business, pretty much. And the audacity of that. And and Sabres fans loved it. Now, Bruce Garriock with the Ottawa Sun wrote that Tom Galasano was whining. He used the phrase whining. Well, that touched off Everybody in Western New York, any Sabres fan, how dare you call our owner, Tom Galasano, a whiner? Well, he was whining. He took out a full-page ad at USA Today to complain about uh, the fact that Chris Neal was not being suspended. Okay, I get it. Yeah, that's a cool thing to do. And that's where it's like, yeah, go get him, owner. That's our guy right there, right? That's our guy, whether it's drilling another well or whatever. He's throwing a volley. He's standing up for us. I get it. Um But two years later, when Briere and Drury were gone and the Sabres were starting to look like a shell of themselves, every nobody, everybody wanted Galasano to sell the team so badly. Galasano became one of the hated guys in Western New York because he was now considered cheap and he blew it on Briere and Drury. He wouldn't spend and they let Brian Campbell go and they let Jay McKee go and on and on down the line of uh, they're not paying for the scouting department. They're doing everything on video. This guy is bad for the Sabres. Well, he's a hero again. And people are talking now on Twitter about, no, this never would have happened under Galasano. Well, bullshit. Uh, you know, Galasano is just fortunate right now that his money isn't getting lost. He, he's his line of work is not petroleum. And if it were petroleum, we'd be in the same exact situation. I can guarantee it. So it's just funny that, that fans, as long as you're winning, they don't care how much cancer is in the organization. They don't care. You know, it doesn't matter as long as they're winning. So, yeah, I think that if if um, if the Bills were to win a Super Bowl, there's probably a statue built for Terry and Kim Pagula. Um if the Sabres were to win a Stanley Cup, I don't know. But it's, you know, saying, hey, there's a statue out there for Ralph. And he was not the most beloved guy over the course of his lifetime uh, in Western New York. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it everything is relative. And this is, a, again, as I said at the beginning of this, and I've, I've done a couple other interviews, I'm taking, and I use this phrase even while doing my uh, interviewing sources. This is a snapshot of where morale is with this organization right now. And I do. Can it be overcome if the Sabers go out and sign eight big-time free agents and uh, they make the playoffs next year? Yeah, morale will change for sure. But um, but it's not. It's cratered right at the moment, and it's something that um, that I think does go deeper than. Just, and it was in fact one of the quotes that 
uh, one of the people gave me is that, yeah, a lot of this would be covered up if, if the Sabres were winning right now, but one Buffalo is, is a sham or a scam or what I can't remember. I don't have it in front of me, but um, yeah, it's just, everybody just feels, uh, again, I don't want to be too hyperbolic, but a lot, a, a heavy percentage of people, people at PSE and the Sabres right now feel miserable. And the, there are people at the Bills who are worried that it's coming their way. Tim, I can't thank you enough for your generosity of time once again to uh, to us here on the podcast. So. Oh, anytime. Huge fan of the podcast and uh, happy anytime you have me on. Appreciate it very much, Tim. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that conversation between myself and Tim Graham. Thought he brought a ton of interesting insight and perspective into the situation with the Pagulas, about whether or not fans would even care about this if we were in a different situation with the Sabres, and how it was a priority for him to tell the story of these employees of one of the most prominent and, at one point in time, prestigious and popular desirable places to work, either the Sabres or PSE, and how that has shifted, and what those people have been experiencing, and how it may or may not affect both the future of the Sabres and the future of the Bills. So thought it was a valuable, interesting conversation to bring to you guys. We hope that you enjoyed it. Please let us know what you think of the podcast. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T. You can find Tim Graham at by Tim Graham, G-R-A-H-A-M. And until next time, you will be enjoying the draft and suckling at the teat of everything that the NFL has to give you right now so we can all be distracted during these days of quarantine and trying to enjoy what little we can with the with sports that we have at our disposal. I do want to let you know I was talking to Tim after we were done recording because I live in Cleveland and he's from Cleveland and all that stuff. And I was to say, how are you doing with the quarantine? You know, my family just moved and all that kind of stuff. And he was like, oh, you know, my family's doing well. Everything's fine. I asked him what his family had been doing to pass the time. And he told me this really weird thing about uh, how he had been spending most of his time during the quarantine. And this is what he had to say. I do the cha-cha like a sissy girl. I like a do the cha-cha.